This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's time. Time for Silver and Black today. To the ground game. Touchdown Las Vegas. We're breaking down the latest Raider news from on and off the field. And bringing you conversations with newsmakers and record breakers. So hold on, Raider Nation. It's time to get get it it on. Here's your host, Scott Goldbranson and Mo Moulton. It is game day, Raider Nation. Welcome back to Silver and Black today. Scott Branson, Mo Moten with you. Hope you get excited for the game tonight, right? Doesn't matter who's playing, who's not playing. We get to see young players fighting for their job in the setting of Canton, Ohio at the Pro Football Hall of Fame. It's going to be a blast, and it's football season once again. The long, arduous offseason is over for the fans. By the way, don't forget, make sure you subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening Get it, just just subscribe to it. That's all we're asking you to do. Hit subscribe, whether it's audio, whether it's here on YouTube. If you're watching us on YouTube pregame, because we are the pregame show today on YouTube uh, uh, before the game kicks off at 8 Eastern, 5 Pacific. But do that for us. Also, when you get there and you listen to us, give us a five-star rating. We'd appreciate it. Uh, but I bring on now my co-host, and that is, as I mentioned before, Mr. Mo Moten. Finally made it, Mo. Game day is here, and now it's time. Yes, it's time for some football. Are we excited? I mean, I know this starts your busy work season, too, with your with your work at Bleacher Report and at Sports Knot, even though the football is now 12 months a year. But here we go, man. It's time to kick off the season. We've gotten so far into the offseason, we're bickering about preseason week one depth charts, or should I say week zero <laughs> depth charts. That was the conversation leading up to our our show today. So we're going to get into that. Also going to honor Mr. Speed Kills today. So that's going to be fun. Uh, Stay tuned for that. That's right. Uh, And Mo there touched upon what we're going to do in the first segment. We'll talk about the game. We're also going to talk about three things you should pay attention to in tonight's game against the Jaguars. Yes, it's preseason. And I know some people get upset because they don't see the starters which I'm willing to bet anybody out there that there will not be any of those starters playing in the game as we're used to now. But there's a lot of question marks. Mo and I have talked about the last few shows that we need to find out about, and this is how you start to do that. So that's in segment one. Segment two, all about Cliff Branch. Appreciate all the great feedback. We ran uh, an interview that we did in 2019 with Cliff in the studio on Silver and Black today, 
and uh, on Wednesday, and that was uh, well-received, and it was a short interview, but I hope that it just kind of brightened your day a little bit to, to hear him talk about why he felt at that time, and unfortunately he passed after that, but um, at that time why he didn't feel he was in the Hall of Fame, which Mo, he said, Mr. Davis. He, he, he was straight up, and it was not disrespectful because obviously he's best friends with Mark Davis, but he talked about why Al Davis was disliked, and he felt as though that was why he wasn't in there. Yeah, he talked about that, and you know that could play into it. I'm sure the fans believe that played into it, but all that matters now that he's in and he's going to be honored, and and that's that's what we can move on right now. Yes, and then after we do that and give the man the honor that he deserves here on Silver and Black today, we will close out the show with a visit from a man from the far east, known as Mostradamus. Mostradamus will be here. Mo, I don't know if you have any cool headgear you can put on uh, that wouldn't be inappropriate for the show, but if you have something, maybe. If not, we have the crystal ball ready to go. We're going to talk about who shines and who whines. Now, that is kind of who's going to do well, who's not going to do well. People really don't whine, but I just used it because it rhymed. I mean, that's just the way it is, right? I was looking for some terminology, Mo, and I just said shines and whines, it rhymes. Let's do it. Uh <laughs> Uh, and then we'll talk about what what will surprise us. Mo will give us that. Mostradamus, he'll talk about perhaps the first player's cut after the game, all this stuff. So we're going to get into uh, prognosticating. Yes, prognosticating. Mo, you're a writer. You'll like that word. Um, <clears throat> that will be in the final segment of the show. So let's get off and get started today, Mo, with the game coming up tonight in Canton, Ohio. Uh, here, I am in the same state, down highway, down Highway 71. Uh, but nonetheless, if you look at this game and you look at three things we want to pay attention to, let's, of course, we've beat the drum for the last two shows, but I want to start with it, and that, of course, is the offensive line. For fans out there watching the game, of course, the focus has been on Alex Leatherwood, but there are other things to see on that line. Mo, tonight's game, if fans are watching and they key in, they ISO, if you will, on the right side of the offensive line, what are they going to look for? They're going to be looking at the right side of the offensive line, which I believe you will, I will be. Everyone who's a Raiders fan will be looking at, one, who's going to get the, the first reps at the position, because as I alluded to in the opener, uh, Alex Leatherwood is still listed as a starting right tackle. Now, again, that doesn't mean much of anything. I remember when Jack Del Rio was the head coach, he joked that he let Will Kiss put together the depth chart. Will <laughs> Kiss is the public relations <laughs> guy for the Raiders, by the way. Yes, yes. So uh, the preseason depth chart doesn't mean anything. So I'm interested in who's going to get the first reps and how long do these guys play. I expect Lester Cotton Sr. to play get most of the reps at right guard because that's where he's been throughout most of the spring and through training camp. But that right tackle position, Who's going to get the reps and who's going to get a lot of playing time? Because it can mean different things. If a player is out there for a long period, it can mean the coach staff wants a longer look at him before they make a decision on whether to cut him or, or make him the second or third stringer. It could also mean that they want to get that guy warmed up because he's going to eventually start week one. So until we figure out what the motive for Josh McDaniels is, we really can't even draw any conclusions at the right tackle position, but we can evaluate how that player performed against the Jaguars. And, and I want to address, too, Mo, we had some folks that, that pushed back a little bit on our discussion on the last show about Alex Leatherwood and his quote-unquote struggles that we heard from media reports, we had heard uh, from the player themselves in the press conference about it. Um, and again, we hear the comparison to Colton Miller. 
And I immediately push back on that to say, hey, listen, um, number one, Colton Miller struggled at times. There's no question during his rookie season. But Colton Miller, Mo, had a, a, a pretty bad knee injury. Uh, it wasn't enough to keep him out of games, per se, but he played with it. He showed his toughness, and he actually progressed as the year went on. Now, to be fair, Leatherwood was switched from tackle to guard, but at the guard position, you didn't see a lot of progression over the course of the second half of last season. So talk, in your view, to the differences between those two. Yeah, I've been saying this until my face turns blue. I don't know if it could turn blue because of the melanin in my skin, but I've been saying this for months that the difference between Colton Miller and Alex Leatherwood is almost apples to oranges because, as you just said, their struggles as rookies were totally different. One guy played through an injury. The other guy switched positions after four weeks into the, into the season. So when I brought up Alex Leatherwood being a guard, a lot of people were like outraged over it. And I'm like, if you think about it, if you break it down, he's been a NFL guard long as he's been an NFL tackle. So yes. he has more experience on the pro level at the guard position. So I don't see why that would be a crazy idea to move him back there. Just because he was drafted to be a tackle doesn't mean he's going to be a tackle. Now, I think they're going to give him the reps at right tackle because that's where he's played, according to reports at training camp. So he's going to get those reps at the position. But we're going to finally see where his weaknesses, where is, the, where is his strengths, where has he progressed, if there's any progression there. Or, or is he making the same mistakes that he made last year as a rookie? We'll find out on the field. And for a lot of the fans and viewers and listeners who've, who've written me over the last day since our Tuesday show, uh, I told, look, I agreed. I said, listen, we're going based on what we saw in camp. Now, you get these guys out on the field, all right, and then we'll see how they do. So, so could somebody change our mind after, after tonight? Absolutely. At least start to, right? So, so I'm not putting that out of the realm of possibility. Alex Leatherwood could go in. I don't usually see that. You usually see it happen more slowly, but you never know. So I'll give him that. Okay, second thing we want to watch, Mo, in this game, we talked about it on Tuesday a little bit as well, which is the middle of that defense. Who is going to stick up there? Who's going to show up there? We have some veterans, obviously. We talked about the injuries to Bilal Nichols. We talked about the injuries on uh, on the end with Frackle. Um, what about that? What about people watching the middle of that defense? Who in particular are you looking to see maybe make a move to to uh, make some noise and make the roster and get some significant playing time in the middle of that Raiders defense? It's definitely got to be my 50-man roster sleeper, Darian Butler. I've been mentioning his name the last few shows. Again, I've been on Darian Butler for months now. So just saying, if he pops tonight, <laughs> just remember where you Wait, heard Wait, Mostradamus is later in the show. <laughs> I'm just saying, but... um. The, the, the middle of the defense is, I think the rotation is pretty much set. You're going to have Denzel Perryman, who's going to get most of the snaps in the middle. And then Jayon Brown and Divine Diablo are probably going to split reps at outside linebacker. And those are going to be your three main guys. It's the spots behind them that are going to be up for grabs. I just mentioned Darian Butler. Kenny Young is in that group. Of course, Micah Kaiser went on IR with, I believe, a foot injury, lower leg injury. So he's going to be out for the season. And I believe they have another undrafted free agent there who I, who I think is not going to make the roster anyway. But I, my focus is on Darian Butler and what he does and the strides that he can make because he could really be a surprise at that position. I know Kenny Young has the experience, but he hasn't played much special teams in the last couple of years. Uh, he hasn't played a significant number of snaps on special teams since 2019. So if Darian Butler could be that guy and flash on defense and contribute to special teams, he should make the final roster. 
And what about Cleveland Farrell? Um, again, not a lot of people talking about him uh, and where he'll play. I know he's probably going to play on the outside, especially now Chandler Jones injured. Who knows? We, we've been hearing that. But you might also see him shift around. Um, what do we need to see in this first game? We need to see him come out and, and perform well. Uh, is he? Does he have a chance of not making the roster despite his status and the contract status? No chance that he's cut. I, mean, I would say no chance, but I mean, the money that's tied to his contract, the Raiders are on the hook for about $10 million, So they don't gain anything if they cut him. He would have to be absolutely awful for them to just like, cut him. Like they can't use him at all. And that's not, I don't see that happening. He's going to be on the roster because of his contract. Uh, there's an issue. People are saying, well, he, he could be nicked up. So we don't even know how much he's going to play tonight because he has missed some practices. So we'll see. We'll keep that monitored the Raiders are kind of short-handed on the defensive side of the ball a lot of injuries a lot of guys they might keep out just to keep those guys healthy and remember this is preseason week zero um the Raiders have a few more preseason games to go so if a guy is nicked up the chances are they might play it safe and just not play him yeah no that that makes perfect sense uh okay mode third thing that people need to watch in this game is of course the defensive backs if we look back there, we, we now know that at safety position, Jonathan Abram has looked better in, in, the, in the camp and is also there as well um, with Tre, uh, Trevon Morig. They both have gotten good, good praise, but Jonathan Abram has also gotten good praise in every camp, so I don't know how much it means. We'll have to see how they do. And then at cornerback, of course, on, on the outside, uh, Trayvon Mullen still injured. You have Rockus Sin there as well, your boy Averett. From, from Baltimore, who came over as well, Anthony Averett. Uh, and then you have Hobbs in the slot there. Do we see Hobbs maybe play some outside? Do we see him tested there? What's your point on that? Yeah, he was listed as the outside cornerback on the preseason depth chart. Again, that doesn't mean he's going to play outside come week one. I, I think that's part of Trayvon Mullen being out with uh, coming mm -hmm. off his surgery. So you might see Nate Hobbs get some reps on the outside just to see how he looks because, remember, he played primarily in the – slot as a rookie so they might just give him a look just in case Trayvon Mullen is not back by week one you have an emergency plan for a guy who could play outside if it's not Avery and Rocky Ascent right and, and to me that that's key because I I think and I've took taken that question a few times about oh well he's listed outside is he going to play there more and more or are they going to turn him into an outside and I, I think why would you fix something that's 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 not broken I mean he's played so well in that slot I think, he, and I think you believe, I think the kid will be a pro bowler. I think that's how good he can be in that slot position. So out of necessity, I can see doing that. But this cornerback room, even though there's a lot of question marks, Mo, it's deeper because of the addition of those two veterans. Yeah, you, you bring in Rocky Asin, you bring in Anthony Averitt, Darius Phillips, who a lot of people are not talking about. He had, a, yep. he had one pretty decent year. I believe he had three picks in the year. Uh, he could be in, in a pinch. I think he'll be more of a dime package guy, but... He's going to get some run. Um, but as you said, it's a, it's a young cornerback room. It's a lot of, I don't want to say unproven guys, but a lot of guys who are, who could be on the ascend. So I think you're going to see a lot of Avery. You're going to see a lot of Rocky Austin. You're going to see a lot of Phillips. And even Amik Robinson, who a lot of people are dismissing as a bum already. I think he is going to get a lot of reps. And then we're going to learn a lot about him going into his third year. Yeah, and I think with Patrick Graham there, with a new coaching staff, uh, that kid's been through a lot, too, with what's happened, just like all the, the returning Raiders have. But I, I'm not ready to give up on him either. Uh, liked him early, still think he's got an opportunity with the right coaching to, to, to reach his full potential. 
and right. be the player he could be there. So it'll be it'll be interesting. We'll have fun with that one. So, uh, all right, we are up against our first break already. Uh, so that's the three things you need to watch in tonight's game against the Jaguars. What else are we going to talk about? Well, coming up after the break, we're going to honor and talk about the career, the legacy of the man and the player. And that, of course, is number 21, Speed Kills, Mr. Cliff Branch. We're going to talk about that. And later in the show, the mysterious Mostradamus <laughs> makes his visit to Silver and Black today. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back after this. Here we go, Raider Nation. It's football season. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseballs and boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back, Raider Nation. It is Thursday night. It is the kickoff officially of the Raiders 2023 season. Yes, it's preseason, but I don't care. It is football. It is on the field. It is played with a brown leather ball. Guys in black jerseys with silver pants and silver helmets will be out there doing their thing. And that makes it a very, very, very good night and day. Welcome back, Scott Branson. Mo Moten with you here. Silver and Black today, an Odyssey original podcast. We certainly appreciate you being with us. Don't forget to subscribe. Just hit that button, whether you're in YouTube or you're in your favorite podcast platform, Apple, Google, it doesn't matter. Just subscribe. Give us a five-star rating. We appreciate that. Mo's going to pay everybody $10 who gives us a five-star rating. Right, Mo? Uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> silence, silence, silence. No, uh... <laughs> But, but we'd appreciate it, so thank you. Okay, now we're going to get on to, you. not only is this game special because of where it's being played at the Football Hall of Fame, Pro Football Hall of Fame in Canton, but also because of the Raider who's going to be inducted into the Hall on Saturday, and that is one Mr. Clifford Branch, number 21, of course. Cliff, uh, I got to be around him a little bit, Mo, just a great guy. And it's really, really sad that he's not here for this one. It's sad anytime any player isn't there for their induction to the Hall of Fame, especially someone like Cliff Branch, who deserved it for so long and didn't get that call and doesn't get to see it. But for his family, uh, I'm so proud and so happy for them that they get to enjoy that. But Cliff Branch, uh, I know you all know who he is, but for maybe some of our younger fans out there, Cliff Branch, 14 seasons with the Raiders. And there's so many stats, I have to have paper here. So I got to read to my paper. 14 seasons with the Raiders, four Pro Bowls, 501 receptions, 8,685 yards, 67 touchdown. His breakout year, of course, 1974. He led the league with 1,092 receiving yards and 13 touchdowns. Now, 
Compared to today's numbers, that doesn't seem like a lot, but trust me, in 1974, it was alien-like. In 22 playoff games, more importantly, he caught 73 passes, almost 1,300 yards, for an average of 17.7 per catch in the playoffs when it mattered the most. Uh, both are NFL records at the time of his retirement. He also scored five career postseason touchdowns, two coming in the 27-10 victory over the Eagles in Super Bowl 15. For the postseason, Mo, Jerry Rice is number one all time. We know he's the GOAT when it comes to that. 2,245 yards. Branch is still number two with that almost 13 yards. Also, for those that you didn't know, Cliff was an amazing athlete outside of football, set the NCAA championship meet record in 100 meters with a time of 10 seconds <laughs> at the 1972 NCAA championship. Takes me 10 seconds to get off the couch. Um, and he placed fifth in the final with uh, 10.1 and uh, then chose to play football after that. He could have he could have gone on to try out for the Olympics and whatnot. But if you look at the productivity of Cliff Branch, and what he was able to accomplish and why it took so long, we don't know, although he did tell us why. Three Super Bowls, he played 14 seasons, as I mentioned. He even played, and I totally forgot about this, and I think him and I had talked about it when he was in the studio when I interviewed him uh, back in 19. Uh, he played one season in the Arena League in 1988, <laughs> like three years after he retired from the NFL, Mo. Anyway, Cliff Branch, um, He's got all the numbers, all the stats, all of the things that you need to get in the NFL. Uh, but if you think about what he did, what he did alongside his buddy Al Davis and alongside his teammates on those great Raider teams, he really changed the game and how it was played at the position. All about the speed. Uh, Dan Pompey had a great quote in his column this uh, yesterday. And he said, getting to Canton was one of the, is one of the few things that that uh basically cliff did slowly <laughs> and as you ran off as you rattled off all of his accomplishments and what he did in the meter runs and, and everything you would understand that if he were playing in today's league his a thousand yards 1100 yards would probably be close to 1800 1700 yards like he would be one of those burners and not to bring up a a, a bad moment but when the raiders drafted henry ruggs with john gruden was at the helm i, I believe and it was mentioned i believe that that's what they envisioned, envisioned him to be. At mm -hmm. his best, he could be sort of like a cliff branch. Stretch the field, put fear in the defenders that you're going to have to move your safeties back because you don't want to give them any type of space because if you do, you're going to be toast. And I think that was the idea of bringing in Henry Ruggs, of course, as we know it didn't work out, had a tragic accident. But back to branch, in today's league, he he is definitely suitable. And there's a lot, of, usually a lot of talk about how players would translate if they played back then or if players back then played now. Cliff Branch would definitely translate now, and he'd be a big play playmaker. He'd be one of those. I think he's going to – he would be sort of like what I think Marquise Brown is going to be for the Cardinals this year. I think Marquise Brown, who got arrested for speeding, by the way, yesterday. Yeah. Uh, I think he's going to have a big year with Kyler Murray, and you're going to see a lot of that magic that they had at Oklahoma. If you remember Marquise Brown at Oklahoma, think about that. That's what Cliff Branch was probably times two. If you're a younger fan, don't remember watching Cliff Branch play or you weren't alive like I wasn't. Just think. Marquise Brown, Oklahoma. Yeah, and and that speed, the whole idea of and and Al Davis pushing that vertical game, what he wanted to do with the Raiders, what they were able to do with Cliff Branch. I mean, Cliff won all; he was a part of all three Super Bowls. And to me, and remember too, and I forgot about this. A, a, a viewer on YouTube uh, messaged me 
the other day about this. He said, remember, and he sent me the report uh, where Cliff, right before he died, a couple years before he died, I think he was 69 years old at the time, what, ran a 4.640 at 69 years old. I mean, <laughs> you talk about just unworldly. That's that's crazy. So the man was 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 gifted by God with great speed, and he was in great... I mean, the times I was around him later in his life... Uh, in great shape, right? So the guy, the guy just kept himself in shape, and obviously during his playing career, he did that. But Mo, I think so impressive because you see a lot of guys who have great careers who actually go to the Hall of Fame, um, and they don't necessarily have the type of of performance that you see Cliff Branch with in the postseason. I mean, those numbers in the postseason, when you need a player, somebody could rack up numbers. I mean, think of like a Phillip Rivers, right? Racks up all those numbers, can't win in the playoffs, right? But you look at Cliff Branch, what he was able to do when he met, when it mattered, when they needed him, uh, and it was remarkable because he always came through in big games. He wasn't known as Mr. Clutch because he was just so good, and he performed when they needed him the most. Absolutely. He was a big part of that Super Bowl team in 76. I believe that team went 13 and one. Uh, and he, his, his career stretched. I know he wasn't a pro bowler or all pro player past, I believe 1976, 77, but he did it with different quarterbacks. He had Ken Stabler. Uh, he had Jim Pluckett. He had Mark Wilson for a little bit in there, but he was productive all the way through. Now, I know there was some friction between him and Flores at one point. He, he thought he felt he made a comment about being in the doghouse, but he was still productive and he he had a long stretch. And you can't again, you cannot talk about that Super Bowl team in 76 without talking about Cliff Branch and his contributions. No, absolutely. And then I think if you look at the longevity, too, I mean, I know that's that's even more impressive at the at the receiver position. Nowadays, you can see guys have really long clears. I mean, you look at you look at uh, Fitzgerald in Arizona and some of the other guys and even Jerry Rice himself. Right. And how long his career was. But you look at when Cliff played starting in the early 70s, uh, receivers are protected much more now than they were then, just like quarterbacks were, right? Uh, cornerbacks, quarterbacks, excuse me, cornerbacks could be much more physical. A safety could hit you in the open field. Uh, but yet, despite all of that, he was able to play without massive injuries. He was always able to uh, be a game-time guy who could play and contribute even, even when he was banked up. Uh, and that, to me, is also part of his, I think, his legacy is that longevity and the ability that, that to, to play and to be there for his team. Because you think about all those great Raider coaches and all those Super Bowls, the three Super Bowls, and all the playoff appearances that he appeared in, Cliff Branch was always there. And I think that was one of the things, not only when he retired, but when he passed away at 71, uh, was people were just so used to Cliff Branch being a part of the franchise. Didn't matter if it was on the field or off the field. Yeah, definitely a Raider icon. A lot of people loved him. A lot of people wanted to see him get in while he was alive. Again, all that matters now that he's in. But back to, you talk about his production on the field. I think while he was playing, the NFL adjusted the, the five-yard rule where basically right. defenders can't touch a receiver five yards behind the line of scrimmage. And with that rule, it kind of opened it up for him. And I believe it was John Madden said he could run Cliff Branch on short routes, but if he did, it would be stupid. So they ran him <laughs> on, they ran him on hooks outs and ups and it worked for him and that's when he took off and, and basically became the awful player pro bowl player that we know him to be right now so kudos to john madden for recognizing that and helping that guy get into the hall of fame well and then we talk about his legacy off the field and with this organization we know clearly after mr davis died in 2011 
uh, and Mark took over. These two were good friends. Of course, the famous story about Mark negotiating a contract for Cliff and his father not being very happy with him over that uh, because they won out on what Cliff wanted. It's kind of that part of that Raider lore. I don't know how much of it is actually true. Mark plays it up as well, so we'll have to take his word for it. Uh, but after his playing days were finished, Cliff not only became an ambassador for the team like so many of the Raiders do because they are welcomed and and cheered to do that from the team and, and really um, have a place with the organization throughout their life, but Cliff did a lot around charity with kids in Oakland. He did it also in Las Vegas even before. I mean, part of the interview we had with him was before the Raiders were even in Las Vegas, but they were had announced they were moving. He was already there. Uh, talking with kids. I did two years in a row of the Toys for Tots event at the Raider Image Store in Town Square in Las Vegas with Cliff uh, and Greg Townsend. Um, here's a guy who just really loved the brand, the team, and what it stood for. And he really went, I think, above and beyond until the very day he died to be there for the fans and to welcome them. Never turned down an autograph, always talked to people. And that says a lot about his character, Mo. Yeah, and it says a lot about Raider players who do this because, and you mentioned at the beginning of the segment that a lot of these Raider players feel like they were, you know, slighted because of Al Davis is dealing with the league. And now after mm -hmm. their retirement, they come out and they're still part of the community. They still uphold the NFL and they're still grateful for the opportunities that they've had and the NFL presented to them. So for them to turn around after feeling being they're being slighted to, you know, give back to the fans, give back to the league. It's just a good, good thing to see, and that's why, again, he's one of the beloved Raiders uh, in franchise history. And and as we were waiting for Cliff to get inducted in the Hall of Fame and going back to the interview I did with him, we even talked about you know players had already been there. Now, he's there now, so that's good. Uh, but players like Stallworth and players like Lynn Swan, who were on teams uh, that, that the media seemed to like a little more because of, of the ownership and whatnot, they're in there. When you look at Cliff Branch overall and you look at the top 100 of the NFL and they did the top 100 receivers and all that, and, of course, he's, he's right up there, where do you put him in that pantheon when you look at the greatest receivers of all time? Clearly, Jerry Rice, number one. There's no question in my mind. Anybody who could argue against that would be crazy in my view. But um, where does Cliff rank in your mind? Uh, as far as being in that that top echelon of the receivers uh, that played in the NFL, I think he's a, a level. I don't want to say below, but behind the Tim Browns and the Jerry Rices of the world, simply because they've done it. They did it for a longer period of time. They had a longer stretch of of dominance in a sense at the position. Mm -hmm. uh, Cliff Branch had had his had his uh, four year stretch where he was probably the most one of the most dynamic receivers in the game. But as you get further on, you see his numbers kind of tail off a bit. Now it's a different era. But I will note that he, he I believe he had 6,047 receiving yards in a seven-year span between 1974 and 1980, which is the most of any player. Yeah. So that's why you got to put him high up on the Pantheon if you're going to put him. I'm not going to put him next to Jerry Rice and Tim Brown because of the longevity that those guys had. But you got to give respect to Cliff Branch and what he brought to the game because you can't tell the story of the NFL without him and his speed. Yeah. And, and I, unfortunate, again, the unfortunate nature of him not being around to see this, it reminds so many of kind of the injustice with Ken Stabler as well. And and you can't control that, right? And, and Raider fans, uh, I think, have moved past it. They're now here to celebrate this. And, and the Raiders and their fans have had a great stretch here in the last few years with Tom Flores going in. 
as well. I mean, it's just been it's been it's been a nice couple years uh, for the Raiders and for their players to be recognized in the Hall of Fame, and and it's 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 just such great a feeling to see this guy go in and for him to get his due. So that'll be fun. And it'll be great uh, for him to join the rest of the Raiders there in the Hall of Fame. And I know there's a lot of fans up in Canton celebrating, and they're going to be there on Saturday. And I know I'll be watching, and I know you'll be watching, but it'll be, it'll be fun to see how that all happens. And, and the speech uh, recognizing um, Cliff as well. Uh, so do we know? I think Mark Davis is giving the speech, correct? I have no idea. Yeah, yeah, I got to check on that one. <laughs> there you go. Well, if you know, I'm sure somebody in the comments on YouTube, which is very lively all the time when we're on the air, uh, will have that in there as well. All right, that is our discussion on the late, great Cliff Branch. Congratulations to him and his family, especially his surviving family, uh, who are all going to be in Canton as well for this great honor. Okay, we'll step aside when we come back for Silver and Black today, the final segment he makes his appearance. Yes, it only happens occasionally, and it takes a lot of, of cajoling, a lot of effort, uh, and a lot of avocado smoothies. But Mostradamus, the man, the myth, the prognosticator like no other will appear. And he's going to tell us all about what's going to happen tonight in the game coming up next. Make sure you stay tuned. Make sure you subscribe. We'll be back right after this on Silver and Black Today, an Odyssey original podcast. What up, y'all? It's your boy Danny Green, three-time NBA champ. You either rooted for me or rooted against me. Join myself and my co-host Harrison Sanford on the Inside the Green Room podcast. It's a podcast that brings you never-before-told tales from the locker room to candid interviews with basketball legends to breakdowns of what's happening in the NBA right now. Whether you're a diehard fan or casual about your hoops, this podcast brings you the game like never before. Follow Inside the Green Room on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, welcome back. Silver and Black today, Scockle Branson and Mo Moten. Make sure you follow us on Twitter, by the way, at LV Gully and at M-O-E-M-O-T-O-N. Although Mo is no longer in the building. No, he's not. Instead, in his place, he might look the same on camera if you're watching or sound the same on voice if you're listening. But the man, the myth, has entered the room, the swami of all swamis, that is Mostradamus. He is... A, he is a seer of things that the rest of us cannot see. He is someone who can predict many, many things that uh, that seem to go against the grain. He just has that sixth sense. I don't know if he sees dead people, but he sees people who might be cut. He sees people who might not start or might start. Uh, that is Mostradamus, and we are back talking Raiders football. We're going to go through this segment, have a little fun, and, and see what Mostradamus has to say. Are you ready, Mostradamus? Absolutely ready. <laughs> I feel 100% like you should, ready. I feel like you should have a hookah or something. Like, you know, something that smokes I, up the room and makes it mystical. I would, for the viewers, I would put on a do-rag with crystals on it. But I don't <laughs> think the fans are ready for that yet. Oh. Maybe maybe in a future show, you'll, you'll get the do-rag with the jewels and crystals on it. Yeah, I think, I think we should have do-rag shows. I'll wear one, too. <laughs> I'll wear one too. <laughs> I only have like twelve of them upstairs. It's all that's all good. Oh so we'll, we'll we'll do that. It'll be fun. Yeah. You what are you talking about, man? Come on. Uh, all right. So Mostradamus is here, and we're going to ask Mostradamus some questions. So here we go, Mostradamus. Uh, we're going to ask you the game tonight in Canton Raiders and Jaguars. Who shines in this game for the Raiders, 
and who whines or who won't do so well? Who are we going to be talking about in the positive and who are we going to be talking about in the negative? I'll start with the good news, the positive. I think Anthony Averett's going to shine. If you've been watching this show, you know that I think Anthony Averett is basically going to be our Pro Bowl player this year. I'm joking. He's going to be <laughs> good, okay? I think he's going to show up and show out. Uh, the two Butlers, Darian Butler, who I talked about in the previous segment, and Matthew Butler on the, def- at, on the defensive line. But Jonathan Hankins and Bilal Nichols on the pup list, Butler and Neil Farrah Jr. have had a chance to reps during the spring and during training camp. And I think Butler's going to be the guy, first mm. through the line of scrimmage, get a sack, get a couple of tackles for loss. A lot of people will be talking about him. Now, you did say, as far as a guy who's going to whine, I, I don't, I don't want to say whine. I know. It just rhymes. And That's the only reason it, I did it. And, and, it's, <laughs> and it's, a tu- it's a tough call for me, but if I had to pick a guy that's not going to maybe not do as well as many people think he will, I, I'm still skeptical about Brandon Parker. I know Brandon ah. Parker is being touted as 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 the guy to start at right tackle, but I think if he struggles or if he's if he's underwhelms, I think it'll it'll force the Raiders to actually take a look at free agent tackles. <coughs> Darren, mm. Daryl Daryl Williams, not Williams. Daryl Williams. <laughs> but if Brandon Parker struggles, the Raiders didn't have to make a call for a free agent tackle to get some insurance there. And I and I think there could be some issues there because this is the preseason. This is the first game out. So guys are gonna look as well as 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 fine as they would during the season you could get some hiccups here and there and if, as we watch brandon parker has struggled with pass protection so i wouldn't be surprised to see it pop up again in this first preseason game now the only thing that surprises me about with that most Radamus, is that that kind of goes along with conventional thinking amongst raider fans who don't like brandon parker for the most part but I see your point, and even though I don't have your crystal ball, which if you're watching us on YouTube, you can see in the little graphic below us. I'm proud of that graphic. Um, that that's <laughs> Kelly Kreiner. That says to me then that the hype machine was too high coming from media, right? And we we talked about it last show that sometimes that happens. It's just you're out there watching practice, ooh ooh ooh, and then you get groupthink. I mean, it's nothing against the reporters because they're all great, talented folks for the most part. Nine out of the ten of them. But nonetheless, it, it just says to me that, that that might be true. So I can see where you're seeing that as well. Okay, now we need you to look in your crystal ball and tell us who will – I mean, you talked about guys who will probably do well and maybe struggle. But who's going to surprise – who is going to surprise people to where they say, holy crap, I never even thought that that guy would play well. And there he is doing well out in Canton in the Hall of Fame game. Uh, Meek Robinson wouldn't be the surprise. I mean, it wouldn't be a surprise for me because I'm still on the Meek Robinson bandwagon. I am not giving up on you yet, Meek. I think you're going to ball out tonight. <laughs> the other guy that people aren't thinking about, T. Billy, Tyron Johnson, who I think, I believe, yes. Devontae Adams spoke about him in one of his pressers. The Raiders don't have a lot of speed at wide receiver. They don't need it because Hunter Renfro and Devontae Adams are ultimately skilled. But if you want a speed guy that can possibly make the roster, I think T. Billy, Tyron Johnson, can make some moves, maybe have a big 50-yard reception, open some eyes, and maybe more people will talk about him because Mac Collins has been all the hype during the offseason. A lot of people <laughs> talking about Mac Collins. I think Keelan Cole is going to be the wide receiver three, but I can see Tyron Johnson getting a spot in the back end of the wide receiver spot, contributing to special teams and being that big player receiver on the outside. So you really you give, you give um, Keelan that edge over the two veterans, Tyron Johnson and also Demarcus Robinson? 
And Matt Collins, too. He's in that group. I, I think yeah. just Keelan Cole's production. He he has experience being a lead wide receiver with the Jaguars when he first broke into the league. I believe it was 2017. So he has some productive years with the Jaguars. He has some flashes with the Jets last year. A lot of people mm. not paying attention to that because the Jets quarterback situation is, is very yucky right now with Zach Wilson. But Keelan Cole had some production. I think based on his previous years, I think he has the edge to get that wide receiver three spot. Now, I just said Matt Collins has had a lot of hype this offseason. He could be the guy. He has the size to make a difference in the red zone. Uh, Demarcus Robinson, a backup for the Chiefs, uh, he was spoke about this uh, last week. He could be a playmaker. He's in the mix. But I think Tyron Johnson having that speed makes him a unique weapon in that, in that wide receiver room, and I think he could surprise a lot of people. Very good points, Mr. Mostradamus. Uh, and I think with that one, my view is – that we'll go through the entire preseason. And while somebody will be given the, the participation trophy of being the starter and being wide receiver uh, three, I believe that we're going to see by committee there through the first few weeks of the season until somebody can emerge. Because I think it's going to be so competitive that it might take a little longer to do that. But that's a good problem to have. Uh, and one of those guys will emerge uh, from that with the, the long-term starter role. All right, so we fast forward, and we, we don't like to try too, too often to go to what we would consider a negative. But listen, it's part of the business. Part of these preseason games is to help these teams whittle down their rosters, right? We talk about guys that we like here uh, that we think will make the roster, perhaps start. But, Mo, if you have to think about going in what we've heard in camp, and, of course, everybody's got an opportunity tonight in Canton, to do to play and play hard and make a roster or at least stick around a little bit longer. But if we're looking at we we wipe uh, our eyes and rub our eyes in the morning tomorrow on Friday and wake up getting ready for the weekend uh, and the waiver wire starts moving for the Raiders, who could be the first guy uh, of any kind of um, um, substance that you feel is cut? This is going to sound like a bit of a cop out. Uh, I actually don't think anyone is going to get cut immediately after the game unless that player makes an egregious error. Like there's a penalty mm -hmm. or unfortunately a guy gets hurt and you have to waive him with, a, with with an injury designation. I don't think anyone's going to get cut because the first round of cuts isn't until August 16th. So you still have one more preseason game with the Vikings before you have to cut down the rest to, I believe, 85 players. So again, unless there's an egregious error, I don't think anyone's going to get immediately cut after the game now again if you see a penalty where there are multiple false starts for i don't know alex bars i'm just throwing alex bars name out there don't take it to the bank don't tweet at him they said <laughs> most said you're going to get cut but just using him as an example if a back-end roster guy if one of your third stringers has a bad personal foul has multiple penalties that guy is probably going to get cut in the next two three days yeah, and and understood that, and yeah, they have time to make cuts. Uh, but then again, you know, there there's opportunities if they go out and sign people, um, especially you're talking about Williams on the offensive line or Andamakatsu on the defensive line, which depends on what Jason they see. Pierre Paul, Pierre Paul as well, absolutely. Nobody's talking about that still. I thought after the show came out on Tuesday, we'd get a little buzz around that because nobody's really talking about him with the Raiders. Um, so we might have to get you to, to trump it a little more because I think it's a good You know what's call. funny, though? You know what's funny, though? When some, when it does catch wind, they'll go, oh, Mo, you stole that take from someone else. Nope. <laughs> I had Jason Pierre-Paul on the Raiders' oh. radar yeah. on Tuesday. If you remember, you can wind back the tape, 
I said it. Jason Pierre-Paul, also the column is up on SportsNet. I said yes. he's one of the free agent targets that I would want on the race. One of three. Daryl Williams and Kinsu, who you just mentioned, are the other two. Yeah, and we'll see how that um, how that line, that defensive front, does uh, against the Jaguars tonight for that one. All right. Will Derek Carr, Mostradamus, throw a pass, a pass in this game? On the sideline to one of his buddies, maybe to Devontae <laughs> Adams, while they're watching the game, but not on the field of play. I, I mean, coaches will tell most coaches will tell you this that the practices mean just as much, if not more, than the actual preseason game. So a lot of people are saying Derek Carr should get a series because it's a new system. I mean, he's been in the league for nine years. He's seen it all. Um, he's getting the install at the practices. He doesn't need to play in a live game where guys can actually hit him. Uh, just keep him on the sideline, keep him in bubble wrap. He can throw some passes to Devontae Adams and Matt Collins and Hunter Renfro and Darren Waller on the sideline as they all watch the game comfortably and safely. There you go. And I agree with that 100%. You said last <laughs> show, wrap him in bubble wrap. I wouldn't yes. even have, I mean, ha like you said, have him in the corner in his dress clothes, surrounded by like a, a, a pool of yellow jacket security guards. Nobody gets within 20 yards of your starting quarterback in a game like this. I agree 100%. Okay, now we look at the Raiders' offensive line. Will the Raiders' offensive line have an unforced pre-snap penalty? Oh, yeah, I think that's going to happen. And that's not a shot at the Raiders' offensive line. I think this is what their preseason is for, to yeah. work out the kinks and work out the errors. So you're going to have mistakes. This is the first game. These guys haven't put on the pads and played in, in a game in, in how many months? Seven seven months. So, right. yes, there are going to be mistakes. They're going to be unforced errors. And that's what the Raiders have been working hard to fend against during during camp. But you're going to get it on the field during live action. You just hope that you can go back to the drawing board and correct those mistakes. There you go. Yes, absolutely. And if it's Brandon Parker <laughs> or Alex Leatherwood, <laughs> Twitter oh, will explode instantly which you know is going to happen twitter too. twitter will ex the first false start for brandon park or alex leatherwood up oh, cut him we got to bring in darrell williams now, i think the race should bring in darrell williams anyway <laughs> but that first false start that first holding oh, i told you is, that first flag up oh, i he's, told he's you he sucks he's a bum get rid of him and and i and i will say on twitter i, I know i'm gonna have to say this on twitter five times yeah this is the preseason this is this is the time where you're going to make your mistakes it's going to happen of course. And that's the thing, too. I mean, it's not week one against the Chargers. You know, this is this is where you get the kinks out. The whole point. I mean, they're glorified practices and scrimmages. OK, yeah, everybody's dressed up like they're going to a cocktail party. But in reality, they're just staying home, eating mac and cheese and having a beer. So it's pretty, pretty straightforward. And you should not read too much into it. We can read some from it. Progress on on players and how they're doing. But uh, we shouldn't we shouldn't read too much into it. And, but fans will because they're emotional and they're invested. So I get it. Now, this is one of the other predictions I need from you, which is the announcers. This is a national game, of course, one of the national games for the Raiders this year. I think four of them. Will the announcers refer to the Raiders as Vegas or Las Vegas more? Ooh, I think Vegas because uh, right. it just it just sounds shorter. cooler. It sounds it's cool. shorter and it, it just sounds cooler. <laughs> Vegas, <laughs> Vegas Raiders, you know, like yes. it just, it, it just, it just sounds better. Even when I write columns, sometimes I just put Vegas after the first, <laughs> this is going to be reference who don't care about. Yes. That's not people, AP style, mister. That's not AP style. <laughs> it's not, but I try to get away with it on, on sports night where I just say Vegas. Cause it just sounds cooler. Yeah. 
And it's so funny, too, because my wife is a Las Vegas native. And if you talk to Las Vegas natives, they hate it. Then the NHL team, the Golden Knights, they left it off, too, in their official name, Vegas Golden Knights. They're not Las Vegas Golden Knights. They are the Vegas Golden Knights. So it's interesting. And I think you're right. I think people, even broadcast, like, hey, Vegas. Ah. You know, it's yeah, not yeah, Las yeah. Vegas. Now, yeah, you don't say that with other teams. But it's the same thing when announcers, hey, we're in L.A., right? It's, it's not... It's not a slight on the city. It's not them being lazy. It just kind of flows better. Yeah, no no offense to any uh, Las Vegas residents who are listening <laughs> to the show. I you will say Las it. Vegas. I almost said it. Yes, I did. <laughs> but I will say Las Vegas on the show, but no offense. It's just, again, it just has a cool ring to it. That's all. Will anyone, I know it's been three seasons now, or we're into our third season, but will anyone call the Raiders Oakland on this broadcast? Not on this show, but on the broadcast, <laughs> I guarantee you it's going to happen because some people still say the San Diego Chargers. Yes. Uh, you know, so that that Oakland Raiders name is not going to die. I'm sure Oakland people in Oakland who are listening to the show are, are pumping their fists right now. <laughs> and you're going to hear it. I think if I had to set the un over under, I would say twice. Twice. You'll probably hear it two or three times if I go, if I go to a push or over. You're going to hear Oakland Raiders a couple of times on that broadcast. Probably from an aging referee. That's going to be my guest. <laughs> Holding Oakland, right? That's That tends to be where you hear it mostly. Even the San Diego ones, it's the same thing. Tends to be the referees because they said it over. I mean, they're speaking publicly, and they say it over and over again like broadcasters do too, uh, but it'll be it'll be interesting. Okay, so now I know it's not the, 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 the result of the game at the end of the day doesn't really matter. But Raider fans are really competitive. They want to win every game they can. Who wins this game uh, at, by the time we get to third and fourth stringers and they're playing it out at the end of this game and everybody's filtered out of the stadium already as well in Canton? Uh, who's going to win this game? Don't don't forget, Scott, this is also for Kelly Kreiner, who's a degenerate probably betting on this game. <laughs> but uh, I, I, I will say, I will say, go ahead. No, I was going to say he's yeah, he's probably betting on uh on all sorts of stuff related to the game. He's probably I think he's betting the under in this game by the way, which is just <laughs> He is, bet, he mentioned it on Twitter. <laughs> I think I think the Raiders win this game simply because not because this is a Raiders show, but because they have competitive battles at some key positions. We talked about the wide receiver spot, we talked about the cornerback position. Uh even Jared Stidham they're saying has a has a potential chance to win the primary backup quarterback job over Nick Mullins. So I think it's mm. going to be very competitive at those spots. It's going to get the Raiders to put up a lot of points to the who surprisingly are pretty much set on a defensive side of the ball. They do have some questions at wide receiver LaVisca Chenault Jr. Will he be a factor in that group because Zay Jones is now their former Raider, now penciled in as a starter as we just said preseason Jeff Charles don't mean and they paid him 24 million over three years. Yeah, they gave him so the money. they Good have some questions, right? Right. Thanks to Derek Carr, too, by the way. Yes. But yes. The, the Jaguars have a question there, but they don't have as many questions at key positions as the Raiders do with guys of quality competing. So I think that will be the edge. And I think the Raiders win by a touchdown. There you go. And and again, I think that battle for the backup quarterback, we talked about it. Mullins having the edge there, and and I would be shocked if it's not him. But you never know. Mm -hmm. I mean, if Stidham comes out, and I think yep. this is what this is a little bit of. I know it's less than the regular season, but this is a little bit of the excitement to watch those two guys 
compete because we there's no more question about who the quarterback is going to be in Las Vegas for the for the time being, right? And so we don't have to go through all that rigmarole we've had the last couple of years. But that backup position now that Mariota's gone and starting in Atlanta between Stidham and Mullins is very interesting to me because I just want to see and I want to see how Stidham does because even if he's a if he's the third quarterback, uh, he's a guy that obviously Josh McDaniels likes. And if you're going to develop a quarterback of the future or maybe a bridge quarterback for when Derek Carr steps aside eventually and they have to go draft somebody, it's just good to see these guys develop and understand. Also, knock on wood, it's just part of the game, injuries. Derek Carr's got to go out for a quarter, for a half, for a game, for two weeks, whatever. You want to see what's there uh, to keep that machine rolling. So it'll be exciting to watch those guys. Well, Mostradamus, thank you for blessing us with your presence and your predictions. You can take all this to the bank if you guys want to make some extra cash. I threw out some nuggets there. I said Raiders you by did. a touchdown. You know, I had I had a sack for Matthew Butler. There are player props available. Just, <laughs> you know, keep that in your back pocket if you want to win some extra cash today. Use the code Mostradamus to get your... No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, we got to get that. We should get that moving. But the other oh, yeah. thing is, on Saturday, Mo, in, in addition to the Hall of Fame induction, another massive national event that everyone must pay attention to which is the silver and black today fantasy league draft which we now know the draft order do you want to talk about the draft order i'll let you go ahead scott and into that. <laughs> so and and i i we did random draft order we're doing it on yahoo for you guys that know you you met the folks that are in our league we're, we're playing myself mo kelly and our producer davis Stepanian are playing against listeners uh, you can watch the show a couple times ago to see them, but we'll we'll be talking to them. We'll be talking to Kelly as well starting next week because we'll have on Tuesday we'll have a post draft segment here with Kelly, um, and uh, we'll see if he's uh, if he had a good weekend betting he'll be really happy. If he hasn't, then he'll be funnier because he'll be ornery. Uh, but but uh, we did a random order and I got the first pick. To which Kelly, of course, then starts to accuse me of trying. I'm like, dude, it's random. I can I can reset it and randomize it again. And I asked everybody; they didn't care. So anyway, I am first, and Mo is number twelve. In the of draft, course, the first round. So I don't actually like the first pick because um, you know it's in fantasy football. It doesn't matter as much. It's not like real football. I, you can you can do a lot in the middle. I like being in the middle of the round actually, especially when you flip it and you're going into the second round and you're drafting again. I hate drafting first or like you 12th because then you got to wait all that time. Now, we did turn on trades of draft picks. Once the draft starts, we can actually trade picks, but they're only for picks next year. That's how Yahoo does it. So it'll be interesting to see, but I am all ears. No. Uh, we'll see what happens. But anyway, that's the draft order. And and everybody's gunning for Mo, as we know, because he's he's cocky when it comes to fan. It's the only thing he's cocky about. He's confident when it comes to his writing ability. But Mo, number 12, what are you thinking in that spot? Give us a little hint. Scott, thanks for trying no. to sabotage me and stack, the get, stack against me. It's only going to make my victory that much sweeter oh. when I go undefeated and I raise the trophy. And everyone's looking up at me as the Vince Lombardi of fantasy football <laughs> yet again. Even with the 12th pick, I will still dominate everyone in the league. Mark it down, book it. Wow. Doesn't we can matter. even do a mockumentary. Even though he had the 12th pick. 
He came that's from a 30 below. for 30 episode. It's a 30 for 30 that's episode, a, yes. That's a, that's a 30 for 30 right there. Oh, but it's fun. But anyway, we will get you the results of our fantasy draft on Tuesday. We'll have Kelly on for our final segment of the show, and we'll talk about that. But seriously, Mo, good luck with pick number 12. It's still the first round. It's fantasy football. My best picks always come in the second, third, and fourth round anyway. So uh, it'll be interesting. And I don't like the pressure of having the first pick because it's like every time I've had a first pick, I pick a guy like McCaffrey a couple years ago injured, right? A couple years before that, another player was one of the quarter or not quarterbacks. It was another running back injured. It stinks. But anyway, we'll deal with it. And we'll all I will. Work. I will say this, though. I'm well prepared for this because I've actually been sabotaging another league where I was the 12th. I had the 12th pick. So yeah, I'm used to this unfair there. treatment by now. It's it's like Raider icons who should have been in a Hall of Fame long ago. I'm used to this type of treatment and I shall still overcome. So you're like you're you're sort of like the Al Davis of this fantasy football league because you're fighting all the powers that be. Is that what I'm understanding? That's absolutely right. It's only <laughs> fitting. It's only fitting. <laughs> All right, well, we'll have fun with that. We'll see how everybody does. I'm sure Kelly will have his draft grades, and uh, I don't know how biased they'll be. They'll probably be pretty biased, but uh, we'll have fun with that anyway. But, Mo, I'm looking forward to watching the game tonight. Uh, We're also going to be doing a post-game show after the game, which uh, you'll see on YouTube um, right away, and then you'll see here on audio on Friday morning. So make sure you stay with us there. Make sure you subscribe on YouTube. Also subscribe to the podcast. Mo, enjoy the game, buddy, and we'll talk to you afterwards. All right. Take care, everyone, and enjoy the game. Try not to bust a blood vessel. It's just a preview. Remember that. First game. (laughs) Yes, it is. All right. There you go. That has been Silver and Black today. We are an Odyssey original podcast. For Mo Moten, for our producer, David Stepanian, I am Scalkel Branson. Thanks, Raider Nation. Take care of one another, and we'll talk to you tomorrow. Excuse me. Yes, tomorrow if you're listening to audio, tonight on video. So we'll talk to you post-game. Take care, everybody, and enjoy the Hall of Fame game in Canton. Take care.